You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. As we come to this Sunday, the last Sunday of Advent, I thought we might reflect just for a minute on where we've been in this Unto Us series. So we started with the hanging of the greens and we, we lit the first candle of Advent, which is for peace. And of course, true peace is not the absence of a negative force like war or conflict, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, but it's the presence of a positive force of love, of reconciliation. Too often we mistake kind of passivity for peace, right? So you might have a home that's relatively quiet, not because true peace is being experienced there, but because, you know, the angry father comes in and everybody's afraid to say anything. Well, that's not peace. That's terror. So true peace is about reconciliation. In fact, the terms for, like, uh, pacifism... It's not spelled P-A-S-S-I-V-E, like you're being passive, right? It's P-A-C-I-F-I-S-M, I I think. (laughs) It comes from the Latin pax, which means peace. So peace is something that we actively do. So when we think about Advent, we think about waiting. We think about anticipation. We think about expectation. But sometimes I think we think of those terms in two passive ways, right? It's just happening. We're just spectators. But that's not the type of waiting that we're going to do. I heard a sermon years ago, and the minister came out, and he was dressed like a server, like he was going to work at a restaurant. And, or he, if I remember correctly, he slowly kind of dressed that way. So initially, it looked like he was just dressed up, but once he had taken off his jacket and he just had on his vest, And then he put on an apron, and then he pulled out a towel, and then he pulled out a a platter. And and his point was, wait on the Lord as you wait on the Lord. So not just waiting like waiting around, but waiting in terms of serving. And that's what I think Advent's really all about. It It is a time where we're kind of actively participating in such things, and peace is certainly one of those. We actively participate in peace when we become agents of peace, when we seek to resolve conflict, right? Not just kind of go along with it. The next week, we lit the candle of hope. Hope, again, is something that you participate in. Hope is like, as we said that Sunday, it's not simply wishful thinking, It's not just wanting things to be better than they are in some kind of nebulous, unformed way. But Christian hope is very objective. Christian hope has an object, and that object is Jesus. Maybe better yet, it has a subject, right? And that subject is Jesus. Hope takes a particular shape. It takes a particular form. And it comes to us in the shape of Jesus. But as we say often in Christian circles, 
that we are the body of Christ. We are the family of God, right? We are the expression of God on this, on this place, right? We say it when we take communion, that we partake of the body and blood of Christ so that we might become the body of Christ in the world. And so the shape of hope for someone else may look exactly like you. I love that um, Ed Sheeran song. I'm not going to quote it right. But he talks, of, there's, talks about an angel and the shape of his mom. Do you know that one? Did I get it right? I always tear up a little bit when I hear it. Right? There was an angel in the shape of my mom. You, my friends, might be the very shape of hope in someone else's life. Like, the shape of hope might look like your AA sponsor. The shape of hope might look like a social worker. The shape of hope might look like a first responder. The shape of hope might look like a public school teacher. The shape of hope might look like you being a neighbor to someone. Like, you are the hope, right? You're the personified hope. And then last week, we talked about joy, and how sometimes joy can be evasive. Like, it's like smoke. If you try and catch it, it's gone. It's like sand in your hand. The harder you hold on to it, the less of it you have. Joy is not so, so much something that we possess as it's something that we give. So we can be the agents of joy, right? Joy is something that we do for others, and then in a large kind of reciprocal family, right, we'll also kind of receive it. Or we can become joyful as we're doing these acts of kindness to others and we see the joy it creates, right? So it's far easier to create joy for someone else than it is to create it for yourself. Joy doesn't work that way. It's not selfish or self-centered. So today, we lit the fourth and final Advent candle, uh, and that of love. And if you come this Thursday night on, on New Year's Eve, not New Year's Eve, <laughs> excuse me, on Christmas Eve, we'll, we'll light the center candle, the Christ candle, right? Announcing the kind of coming of Christ, which of course is what we celebrate. And when we talk about the coming of Christ, you know, we're not just talking about the birth of the child, the little baby. We're talking about all of that hope, all of that waiting, all of that anticipation that the baby represents. In the passage that we heard this morning from Luke, we heard this, you know, the, the song of Mary, right? We heard this kind of anticipation of what it was going to be like. Like the, the haughty and the powerful are going to be brought down and the low and the poor are going to be lifted up. That's something that he does in his life. That's not just a passive child that's laying there. It's, it's, the action, it's the action of the king, right, that is born. In the video that we just saw, a beautiful depiction there, the magi, right, seeing the star and coming from the east and bowing down before the child Jesus, uh, the Magi are only in Matthew's gospel. And it's interesting because sometimes people talk about Matthew's gospel as it's the most Jewish of the four gospels, 
right? It has, it quotes the Old Testament more than the others do, and it kind of leans into the fact that Jesus is the son of Abraham, and that he's the son of David, and that he is this Jewish Messiah, this Jewish Christ, this coming king. All of that, of course, is true. Matthew does have a very distinctively Jewish kind of accent to it. But in this very Jewish gospel, the first people to bow down and worship Jesus are these Gentile uh, magi, wise men, right? They're the first to come and to worship Jesus. And also, um, we often kind of pray around here the prayer of Francis of Assisi, um, that it's, it's, you know, it's better to, to love than be loved, and, you know, Lord, help me to do these things. And what the Franciscans have also always said is that Christ, uh, the birth of Christ, is, is this good news because it's God becoming human and saying, humanity is good, and I'm on your side. That's what we get to celebrate at Christmas. This is God's kind of radical statement about the goodness of humanity. So, so much so that God's becoming one of us. And then what that means, that God is with us, that God is for us. And that's where we start to really experience love. Love is another one of those somewhat evasive things. It's not reducible to just sentimentality, right? It's not just kind of feeling good about something. Love is, love is deeper than that. It's stronger than that. It's a commitment. In some ways, peace and hope and joy are all aspects of love. Like, love is, love is the pinnacle of these things. Love is what God is. God is not like love, right? God is love. And then how does that work? I want to read this passage from 1 John. This is, this is uh, John the Elder writing to his church in Ephesus. And he says this about love. 1 John chapter 4, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we, are, that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father has sent his son as the savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. And so we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, 
and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, And hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. That is the gospel. Now, how does love work? Um, Bernard of Clairvaux talks about four stages of love. In the first stage of love, he talks about loving ourselves for ourselves' sake. Now, obviously that's a little selfish, but it's not an altogether bad thing. You, you ought to love yourself. There, there are plenty of people who actually struggle with self-love. Like, they don't like themselves. They think they're not good enough, or they're not pretty enough, or they're not wealthy enough, or they're not strong enough. They have kind of poor images of themselves. And I want want to tell you that self-love is the most basic form. It's where love begins, and God gives us that. Self-love is given by God to us to get us started in this path of love. So self-love, we want to endorse. Now, self-love needs to be augmented, right? What, what prevents self-love be- from becoming just kind of so egocentric and self-serving is that self-love gets, gets um, kind of conditioned by the love of others. So when we love others, we, we start to love ourselves better, right? It's not just self-serving. But that's, that's the first stage. That's where these things begin. It that's according to Bernard of Clairvaux, and I agree with him, that love begins with self-love, and it's love of self for self's sake. I'm loving me for the sake of me. But we live in this world, and we realize, if we've lived long enough, that the, that the world is kind of hard. It's tough, that things don't turn out the way we thought they should, right? People get sick, and they lose their jobs, or there's some kind of natural disaster, or there's an accident, or... There's, I don't know, there's brokenness. It's all around us. We experience it all the time. Life is hard. And in the midst of those hard times, we often will cry out to God. Like, like even, even people who don't kind of experience much faith will sometimes kind of cry out to God in the midst of hard times. Um, and a friend recently tell me a story where a person they know was kind of kind of anti-Christian. Uh, and they were kind of for Christians being sued and being churches being shut down. And then that person's mother got sick with COVID-19. And they said, can you have your church pray for her? <laughs> yes, of course. We're happy to pray. Right? Because we realize there are things outside of our control. And we cry out for anything for anyone who we think might help us. And so this is that second stage of love. This is love of God 
for the self's sake. So initially, I love me for the sake of me. And then I start to love God, but for the sake of me. I'm loving God for what God can do for me. And that too is a, is a step, right? And it's a step in this love because God does do things. God is good. God is great. I do think sometimes we, we get confused about this God we're praying to sometimes. I've heard um, Chris Green say this a lot. In, in your prayers, when you're praying to God, you're not offering God some good idea that God didn't already have. Like when, you're, when we say our prayers and we're asking God to do things for us, it's not like God was, you know, wondering what he should do. And he's like, oh, well, thanks for asking for that. That's a good idea. I should do that. Like, that's not the God we serve. God, God doesn't need our suggestions. God's going to do what God's going to do. And what God is going to do for, for people is, is, is the best thing. Like, it's, it's not like we're going to have to kind of convince God to do something better than what God would have otherwise done. And I think that's, that's important. So we do participate in that, of course, right? We, and again, this is not a spectator sport. We, we participate in those things as we care for them. Like, we could be a hindrance to that, right? God is having to save them from us, from the things that we do or say. Or... God can save them kind of with us or through us. Like we can participate in the goodness of those things. It's like if I'm making dinner, which I don't do a lot, but if I am making dinner and the kids want to participate, you know, that's, that's a hassle. I don't want the kids to help. That's going to slow me down. I want to get done, right? Yes or no? But we, we let the kids help. We let the kids help because it's good for them. It's practice, right? That part of what they want to do is just be with us. And so we do those things. And I think our prayers are kind of like that. God's, God's in there cooking up what's right and good. And he just lets us get in there and, and help, right? It's, it's more for us than it is for God. But it is that work. And so... We, we move in this kind of love of self for self's sake to love of God for self's sake. And then as we live our lives, we learn just how good and sweet and loving and just and graceful and merciful is our God. And we grow in that and we realize we start to love God for God's sake, Right? This is, this is Clairvaux's or Bernard's uh, third stage of love. We love God for who God is. And that's, that's a good and beautiful thing. It's the, we're starting, our eyes are starting to open, not just our physical eyes, but our spiritual eyes, our hearts, our souls are opening up to who God really is. And we start to love God not for what God can do for us, but we love God just because of who God is. This happens in our own relationships, too, with one another, right? Um, I saw this beautiful post on Facebook this week. Friends of ours, Oasians, actually. You might have seen it, too. They were celebrating a, a wedding anniversary. And, and she was saying, 
you know, I was trying to think of just the right words to describe why I think you're so great, speaking about her husband. And she's like, you know, everything sounded a little trite. Everything sounded as though it didn't really kind of grasp. It wasn't, it wasn't expressing the profoundness with which I love you. And then she realized that when their love was young, she loved him for this or that or the other, this particular thing that he was or he could do or he could do for her. But now she realized that she just loved him. Like her love for him wasn't kind of conditional on on this or that. But it was just kind of, it had grown. It was deeper. It was richer. And, And we experience that in our relationships when they grow. And we experience that with God. And then Bernard will talk about a fourth stage of love. And he says this is not something we experience very often. He, he speculates that it might be something that in the next life, right, in the new creation, we'll experience more fully and more regularly. But he says, on occasion, we can experience this, and he calls this the love of self for God's sake. That not, like, not unlike that Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus goes in and prays, Lord, Father, Let's don't do this, you know. Let's go another way. This is too hard. And his disciples, of course, are, you know, sleeping on him. So his his friends are kind of failing him. The direction that he's going in doesn't seem to be ideal, to say the least. And so he's praying, God, let's don't do that. And Jesus prays until, right, he can say, Father, not my will, but your will. And he's like in alignment And our identities get kind of caught up into the identity of God. Like we we say it, right? We say that we are the body of Christ, like that the church is the body of Christ. But do we really believe that? Do we believe that kind of in like an ontological, like literally a physical way that we make up on this planet the body of Christ? That is a powerful image. Uh, Richard Foster will say it's kind of like when you stick a piece of iron into the fire and it starts to get hot and it'll get hotter and hotter and hotter and it'll get so red so that it's, it's hard to differentiate where's the fire and where's the iron. Like if you pull it out, you can kind of see it, but even then it's still glowing. It looks like the fire. Or when, when light kind of comes through the air, Like, we don't really see the air. The light is just filled with the air. Or, excuse me, the air is filled with the light. So, in that analogy, our lives are the air, and we are being filled with the love of God. So much so that it it gets to the point that it's hard to differentiate where we end and where God begins. Again, I think Paul will talk about this, that to, to die is, is gain and to live is Christ. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives within me. And in which that, that sense of identity, right, to quote a different Pauline passage, we're being transformed from glory to glory, right? Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the freedom that we have is to become like Christ, to be molded like Christ, 
Clairvaux will also say in a different, in a different writing, he'll talk about the coming of God. And he talks about it in three ways. He talks about it in this coming that we're, we're anticipating this week, and we have been for these, these weeks on end now, the birth of Christ, right, the first advent. And he talks about it <clears throat> as we talk about the second advent. Well, Jesus will return, we say, or the second coming. That, that has its own, there's some issues with that language a bit that has, has been a bit misguiding for us. We'll talk about that in just a second, but his, his idea, his third coming, is that coming of Christ to each of us personally. It's that relationship. It's that change that takes place in our hearts when we dedicate our lives to Christ, when we open up ourselves, when we confess our sins and we repent from our sins and we dedicate our lives to Christ and he's, he's our Savior and our Lord. And that's transforming. And we experience that not just in, in a moment, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, but we experience it all the time when the grace of God is with us and we become kind of the best version of ourselves. We become like the light. We're the iron who becomes like the fire. And we experience that that love of self for God's sake, Clairvaux would say. The problem with some of that other language that, and the scripture will use it sometimes. Hebrews, I guess, is the only book that uses the phrase second coming. But the challenge there, it imagines that somehow Jesus is absent from us and that he's in some other geographical location. But as we proclaim the mystery of the faith and communion that Christ is, Christ is dead, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again, it's all Christ at every point along the way. Christ is dead, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Christ is always with us. Maybe he, he was with us, right? First as a baby and then as a young child. And as Luke will tell us, he grew in wisdom and stature. And we know that story. He will again be with us in some kind of special way like that, but he's also with us now in his spirit. We are not alone. Christ is not far away. He's here, right? He's near. We tell our children that he lives in our hearts. That's where Christ is. And we find Christ in other places too. We find Christ in the ones that we meet. And the ones that we serve. That's where Christ is. Jesus will, will tell us, Matthew records this, that when I was uh, thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me in. When I was sick, you cared for me. When I was a prisoner, you came and visited me. And, of course, people will say, well, I don't remember when you were thirsty or hungry. I certainly don't remember when you were naked. <laughs> and when were you a stranger? Or when were you sick? Or when were you in prison? And he says, when you've done it to these, you've done it to me. We find Christ there. So if you're, if you're 
hunting for Christ, if you're searching for Christ, if you're wondering where God is, then go out and serve the needy. You'll find Christ in the face of the other. Particularly, I think, the other that looks different from you. That's where Christ is. And that can bring us to a time that we grow in love. So love is a commitment. We love, as 1 John tells us, because God first loved us. It, it enables us to love. We, we grow up, literally, physically, right? We grow out of, that, out of our infancy when we're kind of utterly dependent upon our parents and our caretakers to feed us and to change us and to protect us and clothe us, right? And we continue to grow and we learn, right, where our limits are, where others begin. We see the difficulty of the world. We hear the good news about God, and we grow in that love too. And so Oasis, I pray, my prayer for us is that we would experience that love. All of it. The love of self for self's sake, the love of God for self's sake, the love of God for God's sake, and even the love of self for God's sake. That we'd experience all those things. I'd like to, to close the, the sermon this morning with some suggestions about how we might do that. So this, this again, this comes from Richard Foster, and it was his reflections on Bernard of Clairvaux. So Foster says this, the first stage of love is a love of ourselves for our own sake. To get beyond this stage, according to Bernard, we must see God as the one who created us and protects us. Spend some time this week. Here's our step. Spend some time this week reflecting on your own birth. Noting how you did not create yourself. You did not choose to be born. Not when, not where, not to whom. Right? None of you had anything to do at all with your own creation. That was utterly out of your hands. So reflect on that. And reflect on how your life is a gift that even your continued existence is not your own doing. Like, the breaths that you've taken since you've been in the room, you did not think about breathing. Your heart has beat some 90 times thereabouts a minute. Or some of you are real healthy, so it's about 60 times a minute. I don't know. But your heart's been beating this whole time, and you haven't, you haven't given it thought. You didn't do it. Your very life started without you, and in a lot of ways, it's continuing without you. So let's reflect on that this week, that our very lives are a gift of God. Number two, the second stage of love is a love of God for self-sake, as we said, wherein we love God for all that he does though we do not love God for who God is. So Bernard believes that after years of being brought through the trials by God, we can begin to love God for God's sake. Why wait for tribulation? This is Foster's question. 
Why wait for hard times to start to love God for who God is? So let's make a list of all the times that God has brought us through trials and use the list to help us move into that third degree of love where we're not loving God for what God can do for us, but rather loving God for just who God is. So this just takes, what we're talking about here is just a bit of self-awareness, but being intentional about it. So making a list of, of, of the things that God has done for you and realizing that, that the love of God, that the work of God, that God, God's self, is active and good in your life. And just being aware of that can move us out of that kind of loving God for self's sake to loving God for God's sake. Thirdly, Loving our neighbor. We talk a lot about this at Oasis, but this really is at the very heart of the gospel. Loving our neighbor, says Bernard, keeps our self-love in check. This week, make an effort to lighten the burden of those around you, beginning with those with whom you live. The invaluable gift of listening is a great place to start. Listen, I I get this at the college a lot. You know, they're going to go change the world. And I'm thinking, you can't even change yourself. You can't can't show up to class on time, and then you're going to change the world? It seems unlikely. (laughs) Right? Let's just start changing you. We'll We'll get some things done here. Like, we want to say we love the world, but you can't hug the world. Right? You, can, you can hug the people that you live with. Right? You can offer assistance to someone that you actually see. This goes back to the passage again from 1 John. You can't say you love God whom you have not seen if you don't love those who you do see. We're fooling ourselves. We just imagine that we're good at loving people except there's no actual people that we like. We're not so good at it. Like, that, that's the measurement of it, right? So start in your very own home and do those things. And I love this. Foster says an invaluable gift is listening is a good way to start. Um, Diedrich Bonhoeffer says that one of the greatest gifts we can give to someone else is not saying what we could have said. That's good. Yeah. If that's for you, just hold on to it. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Lastly, from Foster here, and this is, this is trying to experience that ever-evasive love of self for God's sake. He encourages us to meditate on Psalm 139. This marvelous song, this psalm of the glory of creation, of God's miraculous love and our miraculous existence will help you focus on the God whose love reaches into the farthest regions of our hearts. Way down deep. So 
I'm going to ask Caroline to come, and she's going to read for us this psalm, Psalm 139. And let's just you know, sit up, take in a deep breath, clear our minds, and, and try and focus on the words of this psalm. Caroline. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold, hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance and your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them has yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.